great to be here. We had a, uh, we've been, had a wonderful time with our grandkids, actually. Uh, they were here this past weekend, so we've had a great time with that. And uh, just to give you a little bit of an update on our ministry, I've been with Word of Life for 24 years. Uh, actually, in June, it'll be 24 years, so we're really excited about being involved in the ministry with Word of Life and being able to have an impact with, on young people, uh, from children through high school and even college students. So it's really, really neat to be able to uh, have that privilege to be involved in the lives of students. Uh, one of the things that uh, uh, just recently I've been working on since about February was uh, helping to rewrite the new curriculum for the uh, student ministries from 7th through 12th grade. So I've been kind of off the, off the radar for a few months as I've been writing and writing, and uh, God's been blessing that. And in July, it will be released, so we have a brand new curriculum coming out that uh, deals, actually, we have a, a, a really neat way of uh, communicating to this millennium generation, the millennial generation that, that doesn't really have an understanding of God, uh, a Judeo-Christian background. So we have to redefine all the terms for them and help them to know who Jesus is. I know for some of you that are older, uh, you can't even wrap your mind around that concept that people wouldn't know who Jesus is. But for a millennial who has grown up in a post-Christian culture, uh, they have no clue who Jesus is. He's just one of many gods. And we get to proclaim the true God. And we have to teach them that from ground zero with no presuppositions and just help them to build a biblical worldview. So our lessons, we teach doctrine, but in a very practical way so that they can understand who Jesus is and why it's important that, that we believe in him and why he is the only way to salvation. So it's been a, a really great challenge for me to be able to take uh, truths like the omnipotence of God and the holiness of God and bring it down to a student's level and be able to communicate that clearly. So uh, pray for that as it goes out. The curriculum not only reaches the United States, but it actually goes around the world. Word of Life is in 70 different countries, and that curriculum will go to each one of those countries. Uh, it'll be translated and used. So pray for that. Um, it's really humbling for me to think about that I could have that kind of an impact, but I really rejoice and thank God for it. So I would, consider, I would uh, appreciate your prayers in that regard. Let's pray again as we open up God's word. Father, I just, again, just want to worship you today. Lord, I stand before you humbled to be able to share your word and amazed that you would use someone like me. And God, I pray that you would just help me to communicate your word clearly this morning. Lord, as pastor prayed, help our hearts to be attentive. And Lord, to, um, to be obedient to what you might be calling us to change in our lives. Lord, bless this time now in Jesus' name. Amen. If you see from the title in your uh, notes there, the title of the sermon is, What is your tolerance thresh threshold 
And if you're familiar with the idea of, of tolerance, we know that the, the lower the tolerance, the more resistance you have to it. And the higher the tolerance, the greater the endurance to accept it. So, for, for an example, um, this weekend, my grandson was over at our house. We were cooking something in the oven. I wasn't thinking. I opened up the oven. He was in the room. He touched the oven. What would you expect? Crying, screaming. The child had no response. He has the highest tolerance for pain that I've ever seen. He's much like my daughter, her, his mom, who has an incredible tolerance for pain. Me, on the other hand, you show me a needle and I turn white. I have about a negative 20,000 tolerance for pain. In fact, I, I had to get blood drawn this weekend, this week in the, in the uh, doctor's office. They had to lay me down. And just that one little pinch, I was a wreck. I was a wreck. And then I had to lay there for about 10 minutes for, before my color started coming back. So that, that's just me. Uh, but if you, for example, if you have a, a, a tolerance for alcohol, when, you, when, you come, when it comes to the tolerance for alcohol, if you've never had a drink and you take one drink, that'll set you over the edge. You'll start feeling funny. On the other hand, if you continue to drink, what happens? Your tolerance level goes up, and it takes more and more alcohol for it to cause a reaction. I take Zyrtec for, um, excuse me, for allergies, and usually one Zyrtec will do it for me. I'm usually pretty good with one Zyrtec. But my, as my body has adjusted to Zyrtec, it takes more Zyrtec to combat the allergies. So now I take two Zyrtec just to get back to the level of where I used to feel com comfortable with my allergies. Sometimes with the high pollen with the trees, sometimes I feel like I need to take three Zyrtec. I know it's not supposed to happen, but it happens. Some people feel they, they have a high tolerance for adventure. You know those daredevil people? You see them flying off of mountains. You see them repelling at high levels. For me, I get 10 feet off the ground, I freak. But what happens? They don't start out diving off of mountains. It, it builds up. Eventually, they, they might start out with something that seems kind of daring, but they love the thrill of that. And then their tolerance goes up. And what used to thrill them, it needs a little bit more and a little bit more. So eventually they are doing things that you wouldn't, I would never consider doing. Why? Because their tolerance level for danger has gone up. We have people that uh, love taking financial risks. They'll dabble in the extreme financial market. Right, Mark? You have those kind of people. 
They'll just do things, they'll, they'll spend their money and they'll invest their money in things that are outrageous. And they, they don't have a problem with that. Me, I like the security. Put my money in the bank and know, I, know I'm getting a, a good return for things. So we all have different thresholds for different things. It's the way God made us. We all have different, different things that we'll tolerate in our lives. But let me ask you this question. How much sin will you tolerate? How much sin will you tolerate in your life? How much sin will you tolerate within the church? See, God takes your sin and my sin very seriously. God has zero tolerance for sin. Our tolerance for sin needs to be the same. God, because he's holy, he requires holiness in his people. We were talking about that, and Mark, uh, Pastor Mark was talking about that in Sunday school. Uh, that passage in 1 Peter, be holy, for I am holy. That's zero tolerance for sin. The writer of Hebrews exhorts us to, in this way, he says in Hebrews 12, 14, strive for holiness, for without holiness no one will see the Lord. If you've ever thought that your sins had no effect on those around you, on your church, on others, on the world around you, even on unbelievers, what we're going to talk about today in, in Joshua 7's, hopefully you'll get your mind set straight on that. So, our brother read Joshua 7, 1 through 26, so we're not going to uh, take the time to reread that, but Joshua is the account of the people of Israel as they're getting ready to take possession of the promised land. Uh, they're a community of God's people who not only had to drive out the enemies from the land, but as we're going to see, we, they need to drive out the enemies within within their own community, within their own, their own selves. They had to drive out the sin that was within them. And we're going to see how one person's tolerance for sin affected the entire community, and it almost destroyed them. And we're going to see how what happened to Joshua is a reminder to us and a warning to us not to allow sin in our lives because of the effect that it has on others. So as we open up to Joshua chapter 7, I'm going to be reading the verses I'll reading are from the ESV. But as we look at verse 1, it's sort of a synopsis of what's to follow. Just a, a general synopsis of what happened to the uh, people here. And it says, But the people of Israel broke faith in regard to the devoting th devoted things. For Achan, the son of Carmi, the son of Zabdi, the son of Zerah of the tribes of Judah, took some of the devoted things. Now, what were these devoted things? If you look back in Joshua chapter 6, verses six, uh, 17 through 19, it says, In the city, Joshua is saying this, in the city and all that is in it, that is it, 
that is within it shall be devoted to the Lord for destruction. Now, this was the account of Jericho, going in to take Jericho. And he goes on and he says, Only Rahab the prostitute and all who are with her in her house shall live, but because she has hid the messengers from whom we have sent. But you keep yourselves from the devoted things to destruction, lest when you have devoted them you take any of the devoted things and make the camp of Israel a thing for destruction and bring trouble upon it. And here he says it, but all silver and gold and every vessel of bronze and iron are holy to the Lord. They shall go into the treasury of the Lord. So the devoted things were those things that God had told Joshua specifically. The silver, the gold, and anything precious, bronze, iron, are holy to God. Nothing was supposed to be taken. Now there were times when Israel went out and had conquests where God allowed them to take spoils. This was not one of them. He specifically told them, don't take anything. So, the people of Israel, it says back in chapter 7, they broke faith. There was a direct disobedience to God's command. Now, we're going to find out that it was Achan that did that. Now, all of Israel heard Joshua make that proclamation. And God was going to hold the entire nation culpable for it. The warning was that they would face the exact same judgment. They would be devoted to, ju- to destruction if they did not obey God's word completely. But it didn't stop this man Achan. And sin has a way of doing that. Our heart's desires and our idols in our hearts cause us to disregard God. Achan decided to ignore the command. He had a low view of God. He did not value God as holy. And it was going to cause a lot of problems. Achan was more concerned about satisfying his own needs and wants more than pleasing God. He didn't believe God's word. He didn't believe that what, what Joshua had told them. Sin is what happens when we forget that God exists. Sin's what happens when we forget that God exists. Sin causes spiritual amnesia. We forget that God is real, that God is living, that God is active, and it blinds us because we want what we want. The end of verse 1 says that God's anger, literally, his anger, his nostrils were flaring over what this sin is. Because he has zero tolerance for God. 
Now, you might ask, well, why is God holding Israel, the entire nation, responsible here? Well, think about it. Did everybody hear it? Everybody heard the command, right? Everyone heard that command. What Achan did, when you think about what he takes, and we're going to look, about that, look at that a little bit later, there's no way in the world he could have done that secretly. There's no way. We're going to look at that later. There were people, even if it was just two or three, within that, that band of people that went into Jericho, only th- if it was only two or three, they knew about it. And they were responsible to deal with it. Maybe God was communicating to them that sin needs to be dealt with broadly. We have to hold each other accountable. Maybe it was that he wanted to teach them a lesson that they needed to be motivated by those consequences to keep each other accountable. So the first principle there is that sin is never, only, is not, is never isolated only to you. Sin has a broad brush effect. My sin affects you. Your sin affects me. I may not feel the direct results, but it's going to affect the testimony of Christ. The testimony of our walk before the world. And I think about if you've been watching the news just this week, Josh Duggar of 19 Kids and Counting, if you're familiar with that show, the media, right or wrong, dug up dirt against Josh Duggar of things that he did in his past that, yes, he repented of, but they are very willing and able to come out and attack. Because his sin, even though it was covered, even though he has come out and said, I, was not, I did not know God when that happened, but as a result of what happened, I repented and now I live for God. You'll never hear that in the news you will hear he's a child molester. Did it happen? Yes, he admits it. Praise God, he admits it. Does it cause disrepute to the Christian world? Yes. We have to deal with the fallout. Because unsaved people looking out Looking in at us, what do they think? You're just like everybody else. Which is true. Except we're redeemed. Except for the grace of God in our lives, 
we can do those kinds of things and worse, right? But thank God we're redeemed. Thank God we're redeemed. But we still got to deal with the fallout. When we allow sin to take control of our hearts and minds, we're capable of doing despicable things. We really are. Every time you and I sin, it's because we don't care, or more accurately, we choose to ignore God's commands. We don't believe the truth about his character or his attributes. Think about it. God is omniscient. Right? We all agree with that? God is omniscient. He knows everything, but yet when we sin, we forget he's omniscient. He's omnipresent, but we forget, we choose to forget that he's omnipresent when we sin. We choose to forget he's omnipotent. We choose to forget that he's just and holy. Because we want what we want. Pastor Mark and a few of you have gone to the Biblical Counseling Conference. I've gone to the Biblical Counseling Conference six times. Do I still sin? Absolutely. Because I forget. I'm in the middle of getting my, biblical, my master's in Biblical Counseling. It doesn't matter. Biblical counseling can be summed up in, this, in these 11 words. I do what I do because I want what I want. Aiken wanted, and he went after it. The sins that you want, the things that you want, so badly, will cause you to forget God. Will cause me to forget God. So, first principle, your sin's never isolated to you. We already talked about number two, your sin always impacts others. It always impacts others. If you look in, in Joshua chapter 4, 3, 000, uh, 7 verse 4, 3,000 men went up from there, and they fled before the men of Ai, now, were, were they a little prideful going in? I think that my personal opinion is they were a little prideful going in. The men came back from the, the spies came back and said, you don't need to send everybody. We got this. They didn't, they didn't seek God's face. First of all, there's nowhere in those verses that, that they sought God's face for that before they went in. So they sent 3,000 men, 36 of them get killed. Now, interestingly, as I, as I was studying that, when it says the men from AI, that's a common word for ordinary men, just, just the common word for man. But when it talks about the 36 men that were killed, the word there is champion. They were champions. They, they were elite. So these common men killed these elite men. 
and the hearts of the people melted and became like water. Now we have the advantage because we have the book, the scripture here, to know the whole story. So we know the end of what happened. But at this point in the story, while this was happening in real time, nobody had an idea of why, why they were defeated. But they're going to find out. Achan's sin had impacted the nation. Joshua responded to the defeat, to the defeat by immediately seeking God for answers. And it says in verse 6 that he tore his clothes and fell on the earth on his face before the ark of the Lord until the evening, he and the elders of Israel, and they put dust on their heads. Now imagine how confused Joshua was. He had been given the mandate in chapter 1 to go and take the land. God was going to be with him. And then, what happens? They suffer defeat. And he says in verse 7, Joshua said, Alas, O Lord God, why have you brought this people over to the Jordan at all to give us into the hands of the Amorites to destroy us? Would that we have been content to dwell beyond the Jordan. Isn't that what happens in our lives? Things are going well in our lives, and then we hit a roadblock. And we say, why, God? Why? And it almost sounds like he's blaming God. When I read that, I I was thinking, those are almost the exact words that Egypt said, uh, that Israel said when they came out of Egypt, when things got hard. The Israelites said, oh, that we have gone back to Egypt. Oh, life was so much better there. Really? They had slave labor. That was better? But Joshua's like, oh, God, you're you're forsaking us. What can I say? Israel's turned their back before their enemies. Instead of taking a look and saying, God, have we done anything wrong? Is there any problem in us? He says, God, why did you let this happen? Joshua seemed to believe that God had forsaken them. He had questions. And he's seeking God. But he's looking at the problem from a human perspective. He's not looking at it from God's perspective. He didn't realize that the situation and the circumstances they were in were due to sin. He says... In verse 9, the Canaanites and all the inhabitants of the land will hear of it and will surround us and cut off our name from the earth. And what will you do for your great name? He's asking God to do something. What he doesn't realize is God is going to do something for his name. He's going to do something, it's just not what he expects. God is going to keep his name holy because that is ultimately what God wants. His holiness proclaimed. And he's going to drive out the sin from within them in order to proclaim that holiness. Principle number three is sin is never ignored by God. Sin is never ignored by God. 
Verse 10, the Lord said to Joshua, Get up. Why have you fallen on your face? Why are you here questioning me and doubting my promises? I have not failed you or deserted you. And he says clearly, Joshua, you missed it, but here it is. Israel has sinned. The nations missed the mark. This was the problem. They've transgressed my, co- my covenant and my, that I have commanded them. And they've broken the commandments. They put idols before me. They've not treated me as holy. They have not reverenced my name. He goes on and he says, they have taken some of the devoted things. They have stolen and lied and put them among their own belongings. He's very specific about what they did. He wants Joshua to know exactly what happened. He is not going to tolerate sin. And he's not going to allow his people to tolerate it either. He says in verse 12, Therefore the people of Israel cannot stand before their enemies. They turn their backs before their enemies because they have become devoted for destruction. They were no longer, it wasn't about them being God's chosen people. That was no excuse for what they did. God said they were devoted for destruction. He was ready to judge them if they did not get their hearts right with God. He says, I'll be with you no more unless you destroy the devoted things from among you. So Joshua had a choice at that point. Will you deal with the sin or will you ignore it? What you and I do when we're confronted with sin really reveals if we're devoted to God or not. Do we love him more than anything else? This church, my church, we can only be can only effectively stand before the enemy of our souls when each of us is putting to death sin in our lives. When we are treating God as holy. If you're living in sin, in a compromised life, it is impacting everybody else. If I'm living with compromise in my life, tolerating sin in my life, I'm hurting the body. Which brings us to principle number four. Sin must always be confronted. God says, get up and get going. It's time for action. First Peter, this morning, we talked about girding our, our, the loins of our minds for action. Consecrate yourself, he says. Sanctify and set yourself apart. Make yourself holy and show yourselves holy. He was calling the people to take some time to evaluate themselves. He says, there are devoted things in your midst, O Israel. You cannot stand before your enemies until you take away the devoted things from among you. He knew exactly where, what the sin was and what they needed to do to make it right. And I believe that it was, he was even extending grace to Achan to maybe come clean on his own. 
to bring forth those things that he had done that caused that sin. And he says, in the morning, therefore, you shall, bring, you shall be brought near by your tribes and then by clan and then by man. Now, imagine Joshua standing up before the people and proclaiming what was going to happen. If you were Achan, what would you be doing right now? I pray that if I were Achan and I was in this situation, I'd be like, whoop, it's me. But that's not what happens. His sin, he, he just, he thought maybe he was just going to go away. Maybe it wasn't going to happen. Even though he said that, that they were going to be burned with fire, maybe he deceived himself into thinking it really wasn't going to happen. Isn't that what we do? We, we deceive ourselves into thinking that our sin isn't as bad as we think it is. And it isn't until we hit the wall where God hems us in and blocks us in that we finally will come clean about it. Think about David and Bathsheba. For a year, he ignored. He pushed it aside. He pretended everything was good. But eventually it was confronted. Now, had Achan seen how God had dealt in his holiness? Yeah. Achan came... He he at least had come through part of the transition from the wilderness wandering to the promised land. He saw that because Moses did not treat God as holy, Moses was not allowed to enter the promised land. He saw how God had, had judged people that had did, not, did not treat him as holy. And yet, he was hard to it himself. Yeah, you might be sitting there and you're wondering, why is God getting so angry at a few stolen articles? And maybe that's just an indication that you're treating sin casually in your own life. Was God concerned about the articles? Yes. But it wasn't the main thing. The main reason was the attitude behind the stealing. The lack of regard for God's holiness. says in verse 15, he who has taken, he who is taken with the devoted thing shall be burned with fire, he and all that, it, that he has, because he has transgressed the covenant of the Lord and because he has done an outrageous thing in Israel. As I said before, God's tolerance for sin is what? Zero. Zero. If you want to know what God thinks about sin, look at the cross. Look at the cross. He judges sin. He used his own son to judge sin. He, Jesus took the wrath for our sin on himself. That's what makes the gospel so amazing. 
He sent his only son to die for us. Wicked sinners. He took his perfect son, shed his perfect blood, and applies that blood to all those who believe so that we can have a right standing and be forgiven. Do we deserve the wrath of God? Absolutely. But Jesus died for you, died for me. And if you're here today and you've never trusted Christ, maybe you've been in this community of believers for years, but you've never placed your trust in Christ, you are outside of the the covenant. And God invites you in today. Come, bring your sin, and lay it at Jesus' feet. And trust what he did on the cross for you is enough for your salvation. Last principle. Sin always has compromise. Sin always has compromise. Uh, Consequences. I'm saying compromise. I'm I'm reading consequences. I'm saying compromise. It always has consequences. Verse 16 through 18, Joshua rises up. They go through this narrowing down, narrowing down, narrowing down till it finally comes to Achan. And Joshua says in verse 19, Joshua said to Achan, my son, can, can you hear G- Joshua's concern? Can you, can you hear that? He says, my son, give glory to God of Israel and give praise to him. Which is what Joshua was concerned about. It's what we ought to be concerned about when we're dealing with someone else in their sin. God's glory to be magnified. He says, tell me what you've done. Don't hide it from me. Confess it. And Achan answered Joshua, truly I have sinned against the Lord God of Israel. Finally, Achan, finally, finally. He says, and this is what I did. When I saw among the spoils a beautiful cloak cloak from Shinar and 200 shekels of silver and a bar of gold, gold weighing 50 shekels, then I coveted them And I took them, and see they are hidden in the earth inside my tent with the silver underneath. The lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life. I saw it, I wanted it, I needed it, I took it. He took this cloak from Shinar, which is in Babylon, that he idolized. He loved it more than God. Then he says he took 200 shekels of silver, which I looked this up just last night. In today's economy, 200 shekels of silver, understand that it was a lot of money back then, but in today's economy, it's about $51. And a bar of gold weighing 50 shekels was about 1250 so it was, it was little. It was little. But it was enough to want him, that, that, that made him compromise. Because he wanted it more than God. 
He wanted it more than his desire to please God and to love God and to follow God. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, the same three things that fouled up Adam and Eve, the same three things that foul up you and I when we sin. Was what brought Achan down. And there's going to be consequences. Someone has said this, sin will take you further than you want to go, keep you longer than you want to stay, and cost you more than you want to pay. And Achan was about to find that out. So Joshua sends messengers, and they ran and they got those items from the tent. And they took them out of the tent and brought them to Joshua and to all the people of Israel, and they laid them down before the Lord. And Joshua and all of Israel took him with him, took Achan, the son of Zerah, and the silver, and the cloak, and the bar of gold, and his sons and his daughters, and his oxen, and his donkeys, and his sheep, and his tent, and all that he had. And they brought them up to the valley of Achor. And Joshua said, why did you bring this trouble on us? The Lord brings trouble on you today. And they stoned him with stones, and they burned them with fire, and stoned them with stones. And they raised over him a great heap of stones that remain to this day. Achan confessed. It's true. But the consequences still stood. The people through this learned a very hard lesson. His family learned a very hard lesson. Had they loved God more than they loved their dad, and their husband. They should have exposed that sin. When he dug that stuff and buried it in his tent, there's no way his family did not know about it. That took a lot of digging. They should have been willing to confront their father and bring it to God. And because they chose not to do it, they were getting destroyed as well. The people learned a stunning lesson about God's holiness, right? Stunning. God does not deal and and tolerate sin. There's no remission of sin without the shedding of blood. Achan had to pay for that, that sin with his own blood. What can we learn? These principles still apply to us today. The sin that you hide will be uncovered because God loves his holiness above all else. The way to escape the consequences and the judgment of sin is to confess it. Bring it out into the light. God says if you will confess it and walk in the light, he will forgive. You may not escape the consequences, 
but you can walk through them. You can walk through them. What you do, what I do, affects everybody. It affects especially the body of Christ. It affects the testimony of New Village Church in this community. It affects the worldwide church and gives unbelievers another excuse not to believe that Jesus is real. 1 Peter 2, 12 says, Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. Ephesians 5.15 says, Be careful how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise. And 1 John 2.6 says, Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. So the question I have for you, Jesus walked with a zero tolerance of sin. Do you walk in your life with a zero tolerance for sin? God expects the same level of holiness of you as he did back when he talked in Leviticus and when Peter spoke it. When you shall be holy, for I am holy. Our standard for what is considered sin is not what other believers consider their, sin, their standard. It's not what Pastor Mark says. And it better not be what the world says. Our standard for holiness is God's word. Our standard for what is sin, what's called sin, is God's word. Let me put it simply to you. If you can't imagine Jesus doing it, saying it, watching it, or living it, you ought not to be doing it either. That's not legalism. That's holiness. Not one thing that we do, not one sin we commit, is done in isolation. So, we're going to take a couple minutes and just going to want you to just think about this. When, we, when I talk about secret sin, what is that one thing that comes to your mind that says, I, wish, I hope nobody ever finds this out? Maybe it's a secret porn addiction. Maybe it's an adultery. Maybe it's an immoral relationship. Maybe you cheated in class this week or on your taxes this year. No one else in this room might know what happened, but God does. God will hold you account. It may not be immediate, but it will be exposed. Maybe you're here, and I believe it's by God's providence. Maybe this is your last warning before that sin gets exposed. Just like Achan had that last warning, 
before he had to stand and, and be exposed before everybody. Make it right. God's grace is available to you if you humble yourself and come to God. Let's pray. Father, in your word, in Isaiah 57, 15, it says this. For thus says the one who is high and lifted up, who inhabits eternity, whose name is holy. I dwell in the high and holy place, and also with him who is of a contrite and lowly spirit, to revive the spirit of the lowly and to revive the heart of the contrite. God, I thank you. Lord, that you sent your son Jesus to pay for our sins. Lord, I thank you that we don't have to face judgment on our own because of what Christ did. And Lord, there may be someone here today that has never trusted you. Lord, they may have been in this church for years. The Lord have never really come to a true knowledge of you. And God, I pray, Lord, that they would see and seek your, your grace in your face today. And Lord, maybe there's a believer here today that has been hiding. Lord, that's been covering up sin and, and ignoring it. God, you're calling them to repentance. And Lord, those who are contrite, you're never going to cast out. Lord, you want that relationship restored. You want each of us, as your children, to walk in holiness, to walk in truth, to walk in the light. So Lord, you, you extend that that grace to them. Lord, I thank you for the promise of 1 John 1.9. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. God, you search the hearts of each one of us and you know the things that we hide. God, they are open and laid bare before you. God, help us to repent. Help us to walk rightly before you. Lord, we thank you and we love you. In Jesus' name, amen.